Um, we are in a series uh, right now, a short series on stages of faith formation. And uh, we've taken this series from a couple of different books. One that um, some of us are reading through is called Journey of the Soul by Bill and Christy Gaultier. And it's, I think, a really helpful uh, understanding of how we walk through the journey of becoming like Christ here on the earth. There are lots of other books that do a similar thing. Um, the Critical Journey by Janet Hagberg. Um, Dark Night of the Soul, St. John of the Cross. That'll cheer you up. Um, uh, St. Teresa of, of Avila wrote a book called The Interior Castle. That'll confuse you. Uh, but a lot of those books, the same thing, you know, just understanding there are stages of faith on our journey. And these stages are not so much a linear progression as if you become a Christian and then you go through these stages and boom, then you're just like Jesus and go to heaven. There, it's probably better to picture them almost like a, like a spiral. So at any one point, you could sort of skip from one stage to the next, but there is a sort of natural progression into becoming Christ-like. And so a lot of what we're talking about over these weeks will be very familiar to you because you will have experienced it. And some of the things that we're now going into as I talk about this difficult challenge of hitting the wall in our spiritual life and then um, the inner journey and um, spirit-led ministry and then the transforming union when we're so close to Jesus, he oozes out of us. Um, some of those will not be as familiar to some of you, but we're doing this together as a body because we need to know where we are. You, it's helpful to know where you are in the spiritual journey so you know how to get to the next place and quite honestly, how to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus who has already done the journey. I mean, that's, that's a big part of this is just with opportunities and invitations that wherever you are in your faith, how do you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and not get lost in, uh, what is it, John Bunyan calls it the sloth of despond. Can't wait to see you do that one. Sloth of despond. <laughs> the sloth of despond. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> the sloth of despond, that place where you just hit despair and you camp there. You know, you hit a wall, and instead of pressing through, you just put up, put down roots in despair. Anybody? Don't raise your hands. I understand it, too. Both mine would be up. All right. Okay. Um, who has ever been whitewater rafting in their lives? Now, okay, now keep your hands up. Now, I'm talking whitewater. I'm not talking about white river. Okay, well, good. That's good. Whitewater rafting. So if you've been and you had a guide, at some point... Probably you're all sitting in your little boat, you've got your little things on, your life vests, and the guide gets up and he starts explaining how we're going to do this. We're going to go through the, well, you know, so that nobody dies at the end of this. Um, I did a lot of white river, white river wafting. Just had to get that one out. <laughs> uh, as a younger kid, and I, I have distinct memories of the, the guide with maybe 10 or so rafts, and he's explaining to us, now here's what's going to happen on your journey. You're, at some point, you're going to hit a rock. Not just a little rock, you're going to hit a big rock. It's going to be like a wall in front of you. And that guide says, when you are moving towards the rock and you've hit the rock, lean into the rock. You've heard it before? Lean into the rock. Everything inside you says, we are going very quickly towards an immovable object. 
I would like to lean the other way. Guess what happens when everyone in the raft leans away from the rock? The raft goes over, you go in, and you all die. That's the way they explained it to me. So I'm a good rule follower. Man, did I lean into that rock. <laughs> it actually works. So many times rafting, I've hit that place. You, you hit that rock, that wall, and you have to lean into it. Not so you can go over it or go under it, but so that the current created by another force can take you down a path of safety. Otherwise, if you do what's natural when you hit that rock or hit that wall and you turn away, it seems so right, it is so wrong, and can end you in some pretty dangerous places. This morning, we're going to talk about that place in the, in our, in the journey of our souls becoming like Jesus that uh, many authors just call the wall. So we talked week one about the confidence in Christ. You come to Jesus, you make a commitment to him, you recognize his grace and his mercy, and he saves you, and you're joyous, and then help in discipleship. Somebody disciples you, you get involved in a small group, you begin to learn spiritual disciplines, you're starting to practice then responsibilities in ministry, you begin to use the gifts that God's given you and you start to see fruit out there in the world. Those are the first three stages of these six, confidence in Christ, help and discipleship, responsibilities in ministry. Then there comes this time in most believers' lives that it feels like whatever I'm doing in my walk with God is no longer working. You just get to that point where you realize as much as I pray, as much as I fast, as much as I read, as many conferences as I go to, as much worship as I listen to, I can't sense God. I just don't know where he is. The reality of what we're calling the wall is that there will be times in the life of, of any, any believer where you just have trouble believing that God is present. It just You just wonder where God is. It's just hard to connect with him. It just, you wonder, if, is God present? If he's present, is he active? If he's present and active, is he really good? Because this hurts so bad. That the reality of just hitting the wall, Jesus experienced it. Jesus in the garden, you know, Jesus, perfectly aligned with the will of the Father. Jesus, fully man and fully God. Jesus, baptized by the Holy Spirit. Jesus, um, tempted in every way like us and yet without sin. And Jesus gets into the garden and he hears what the Lord's telling him to do. And what does he say? Oh, no. Please. God, God, why have you forsaken me? The Son of God, the perfect Son of the Father, has a deep sense of God's abandonment. He just can't feel that God is there. Now, just a couple of things about Jesus. <laughs> Jesus did not pretend as if that, that horrible feeling, that wall, wasn't present. Jesus didn't go into the garden and say, I just don't believe there's a cross. I'm just going to believe the cross away. He didn't do that. Jesus saw the cross Jesus asked the Father to change the plan. The Father said, no. Jesus said, what? Not my will, but your will. And then Jesus not only did not just pretend that the cross wasn't there, he went straight towards it. 
he took up his cross. He died on the cross. And after the whole thing, death has been defeated and all that, Jesus turned to you and me and he said, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross. So we just have to recognize that challenge and difficulty in the life of the believer does not just mean, we just don't always blame it on the bad guy, on the enemy, right? I don't know how all that works. All I know is that when challenge comes, God is present. And kind of like hitting that, that rock, you know, on the, on the river, we've got to lean into it. We can't run away from it in the same way that Jesus leaned into the will of the Father and found the presence of the Father in the midst of it. Jesus did not do it alone, but it seems like it felt like for Jesus that he was doing it alone. That's what it seems like as you read the Scriptures. The wall in this, these stages of faith is technically more of a season and less of a stage. And this is the reason I say that. When we talk about six stages of faith, it almost uh, sounds, stages feel manageable, don't they? Like I will do stage one, and then next week I will begin stage two, and I will complete that in two hours, and then, right? As if we make ourselves like Jesus, but we don't get to do that. And so especially this aspect of the journey, the wall, is more of a season than a stage. Seasons you can't control. How many of you know that? You, you look out in the middle of winter and you say, go away, winter. But you cannot control the season. You can move away from it, <laughs> but you can't control it. The wall drives us into the next stage of faith, the inner journey. We'll talk about that next week. Um, that's the place where you begin to look inside to find Jesus. What is it that you want to do on the insides so that on my insides and my outsides, I can be more like you. The inner journey is not just look inward and, you know, navel-gazing. The inner journey is about finding Christ just in those places where you're not yet like him on the inside. For most of us, the wall comes through some sort of crisis that turns our world upside down. You feel stopped. You feel stuck. You feel hindered. Probably the first time in my spiritual life I hit the wall, um, I had finished seminary. We were sent out by a church to Istanbul, Turkey, to basically convert an entire country of 50 million. I didn't quite accomplish that. Eight months later, in what felt to me like a spiritual freefall, I hit the wall. And I couldn't find God. I didn't know. It just felt like, God, where are you? Because I feel all alone. For some of us, it looks like burnout. Either in work or in ministry, you're just giving, giving, giving. You're working tirelessly. You're seeing fruit. You want more fruit. You're wanting to maximize. And burnout, to me, my my uh, definition of burnout is giving from resources that you, you don't actually have. You know what that feels like when, you know, you're used to compassion and love and giving and then all of a sudden someone comes up and tells you a horrible thing and you realize, I don't give a rip. I can say that up here. None of you, I've never felt that about any of you. Burnout means I don't, I need to give you something, and I'm going to try, but there's nothing there. I've got nothing left. 
Sometimes it's compassion fatigue. Sometimes the wall can hit us with a disillusioning church experience. Some of you are here at the vineyard because you hit the wall in a church somewhere else and you just realize, I need something different. I got this is crazy stuff. You might find that here too. Let's just be honest. Moral failure can sometimes either be uh, the, a reason for the wall or the failure comes because you've hit the wall. You find out you're looking for, for God, for pleasure, for love, for something, and you find it in an illicit place. Personal crisis, disease, family problems, divorce, job loss, grief, depression. It's not in my notes. COVID-19. I mean, something happens in the world. It's almost like the whole world hit the wall in the last couple of years. Maybe a faith crisis. You know, if you're in your 20s or early 30s, deconstruction is very trendy right now. What's happening in deconstruction? People who love Jesus are hitting the wall. And they're realizing, wait a minute, the way this was explained to me doesn't make sense anymore. And you start questioning every single thing that you've been given. The temptation at this point is to throw it all away. It's just to say, bag it all. The invitation is to understand that God is bigger than you are. God is bigger than the church you came from. God is bigger than the theology you were given. God, ready for this one? Hold on. God is bigger than the Bible. So when you get to that place and you're feeling like, I just got to, it's too confusing. I liked having all the answers. I don't have them anymore. I give up. Don't give up. Give in to God. Let him speak to you. Let him walk you through that faith crisis. You get to this place in your life and you do, in my experience, what you always did. I'll just surrender more to God. I'll just, I'll just do more for God. I'll give up more for God. When you first came to, to Christ, you surrendered your life and he took it. And there's all sorts of glorious stuff that happened for, for many of us in that second stage in discipleship and then the third in doing things in ministry, you know, more disciplines, you're opened up to different ways to connect with God that just seems like there's more fruit and more fruit. And then all of a sudden, all the things that you were doing, they just don't seem like they work anymore. And it just feels like God has left you. One author describes the wall as our will meeting God's will face to face. You know, you got to plan for your life. You got to figure out how you're going to accomplish it. Even when you come to Christ, you just fit Jesus into that, and this all makes sense, right? And then you go for it, and then all of a sudden, you hit the wall. And you say, God, why? Now, not all trials or challenges in your life are the wall, okay? You, you got a flat tire on the way to church. That's not the wall. <laughs> That's because you didn't look at your tires before, you know. No, there are, there are trials, there are temptations in life. So, you know, just because you, you had a tough day at work doesn't mean you're in the dark night of the soul. I was quick. I really wanted the dark night of the soul. I think I read it first in my 20s. I just thought if I can get through this now, then I'm sailing, you know. You don't lead yourself into the dark night of the soul. The light of the world leads you there. That was good. <laughs> the, 
James says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must, must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Life, even life in Christ, is hard, right? It's a challenge. And yet we're called to rejoice and be glad in it, and we can live by faith and not by sight, but if we follow the one who said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross, life is going to have challenges. It's expected. The promise of the scriptures, anyone who wishes to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's the promise of the one who loves us. There's power in the midst of those trials, yes, but it's not power always to keep us from challenge. Often it's power to keep us as we walk through challenge. And that's the beautiful invitation of the wall. Um, Heather, um, our children's pastor, who, who didn't know exactly what I was going to talk about this morning, I love this, you know. I love how she's often clueless. <laughs> I mean that in the nicest way. About what we're going to talk about, and she'll come up, she'll say, God gave me this word this morning. She did know that the title of my message was the wall. She said, what is that? I started to explain. She said, oh, this is what the Lord said. The wall is my mercy. So I, so I, I, I pondered that for a while, and I realized the wall is God's mercy. You, you know how the wall is God's mercy? When you get to this point, when you've sort of figured out the spiritual life, and you've got all the disciplines, and you've got your gifts, and you've got your ministries, and you, there's some acclaim coming, and you're feeling pretty good, the mercy of God is that he will not let you continue to go under your own power. If God would, would allow you to keep going, it, we are, it's such our tendency to say, if I do this, I get this. If I do this, I get this. The wall says there is no formula to becoming like Christ, except keep your eyes on Jesus. That, that's it. All those disciplines are good. Pursue them but those are not what make you like Jesus. Those are the things we do to put ourselves in the place where Jesus can form us into his image. And sometimes his hands are rough, but they're strong. So don't rush in to claim you're at the wall if you're there or if you've experienced it. All of this makes perfect sense. If this doesn't make perfect sense, be at peace. But remember some of the things that I'm about to say. Now, the wall is David fleeing a jealous king and on the run for 13 years. That's the wall. The wall is 11 disciples at the crucifixion, watching all their hopes and dreams and the hopes and dreams of all Israel. Israel. What did I say? The disciples. Yeah, the wall is the disciples at the cross, watching everything die, their dreams, their hopes. The wall is Job losing his 10 children, his health, and his possessions in a day. The wall is Jesus in the garden. God, there's got to be a different way to do this. The wall is Abraham on Mount Moriah. After all these years, the promised son and the Lord, the Lord says, take your son, your only son, and kill him. That's the wall. Like, Wait a minute. 
this doesn't make any sense. The roadblock at the wall, this stage of our journey, and you can hit it a couple of times in your life and from different angles, is to, to not trust God. That's the roadblock. That's the temptation. Is God, I thought you were good, and this is bad, therefore, forget it. I don't trust you anymore. I, I'm taking it over again. There are different ways that we might resist or try to manage this transition season. If, if we got really strong egos and, you know, pumped up, we'll try to push through it. If we have really weak uh, senses of our own self, we might uh, lapse into self-pity. That's my personal favorite. Okay, God, it's not working the way I thought it would. I must be horrible, no good, very bad, right? You know that song? And I, and I just stay there. That, that's my temptation when I hit these places. God, I knew I couldn't do it. And I'm the one who can prove that you're not powerful enough because <laughs> I'm that bad. Some of you are going, um, quit saying those words that I've said that. Some of you are just saying, why am I at this church? <laughs> Some of us get stuck at the wall and we just look for a way out. And so sin is the way out. And so we, we live in our sin so that we end up living out our sin. For some of us, guilt and shame can, can come, and we'll hang on to that for a while. For some of us, we get to the wall, we think, I just need more information. If I just, <laughs> if I just read one more book, if I just read, there's so much of this going on right now. If Jane was up here, she'd be going like this. You know that feeling? I just need one more book. If the world would stop and I could have the right number of books, I could get this figured out. I could get past this. You ever seen my office? <laughs> doesn't work. Some of us will just work harder to prove ourselves. And some of us will just bail. What God wants at this point of our walk with Jesus, aside from all of that, is surrender. He, he, he wants a surrendered heart. He, he wants us fully and completely. He wants to, to hear from the bottom of our uh, struggling souls Okay, God, not my will, but your will. And I don't mean to add to the Bible here, but I think God wants to hear from us and in your timing. Because sometimes we get here and we think, I'm going to surrender again. Good, God, I surrendered yesterday, so what's the fix? It doesn't work that way. We don't get to control this. It's all about letting go of control and letting God be the sovereign lover and leader in your life. And I am saying this personally, about two years into my own personal wall, last January, a year and a half ago, where, when I went away for two months, remember that? You could just name that sabbatical, the wall. Because everything I'm talking about right now, I was experiencing then. And I'm not saying I'm through it so I can write the book on it. I'm just saying there's life on the other side. So don't stop. So if you're at the wall, if you are at this place and some of what I described feels familiar to you, what do you do? At least four invitations at the wall. At least four invitations. Number one is this, awareness. The invitation of awareness. God, what is the reality of my life right now? Face the brutal facts. 
Be honest about where you are with God and with someone else. Honest about what's happening, what you're thinking, what you're feeling. I mean, if we can't be honest with God ourselves and at least one other person, we'll just stay in our gotta pretend it's okay mode. The false self will is it dies hard. It dies really, really hard. For me, the best um, practice for me at this point in my life, probably a few points in my life, to be aware of reality, what I'm feeling, where God is and others, was the Psalms. I mean, the Psalms, like only the Psalms. There are probably two or three years where all I read in the Bible were the Psalms. I couldn't make heads or tails of anything else. But every time I'd open the Psalms, I'd find myself complaining, right? Bitterness, God, how long? Kill all my enemies. That's all in the Psalms. Guess what? That was all in me. But I also found in the Psalms, God. God, not afraid to deal with a person having all the experiences and the feelings like I was. I'll just give you a couple that really spoke to me during that time. Psalm 23, 3. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, which is what it feels like at times, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, rod and staff probably doesn't feel comforting to a sheep at times. The rod, the staff, control the sheep, keep the sheep in, maybe cause some pain to the sheep. But what the psalmist is saying here is, I know I'm going to go through a hard time, and I might feel like I'm alone, but I'm not going to be afraid because you're there with me. It's faith. It's not pretending there's no dark valley. It's just asserting that there is a God in the darkness, even though you can't see him. Psalm 77, 19 your way was through the sea. You know, the psalmist talking about God taking the Israelites out. Your way was through the sea, your path through great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock. I mean, imagine you are an Israelite. Talk about a wall. You come up to the, the sea, right? Bad guys want to kill you here. Um, ocean wants to drown you here. That's a wall. And what did they do at the wall? Moses says, stand and see the deliverance of the Lord. And then the psalmist says, your footprints went right through the water, even though no one could see them. God, you guided us when we thought it was impossible. Isn't that the point? Psalm 139, 11 and 12. I spent at least one month two years ago, and all I read was Psalm 139. I just read it over, and that's why you hear so much of Psalm 139 from me. I just read it over and over and over again. And what really got me was this. Surely the darkness will hide me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. And the Lord said to me so lovingly and so clearly, Randy, your darkness is not dark to me. God is not afraid of our darkness. After, um, this would be 1990, probably the most, one of the most powerful encounters with God I'd ever had at uh, the Vineyard Church in Evanston. And I, I, the power of God on my body, I'd never experienced anything like this. 
and one of the people who was praying for me, in the midst of that, like power surging through my body and me thinking, this is either really awesome or really bad. And they said to me, don't forget in the darkness what God shows you in the light. That was the word. And it, it, it settled in my soul, and I carried it for 35 years, for a long time. And it helped me two years ago, and five years ago, and ten years ago. Don't forget in the darkness what God's shown you in the light. Some of you are in the light right now. Journal well. You need this. Some of you are feeling some darkness. Look back. What did God say? What did God do? Don't assume he'll do the same thing as he did before, but remember his power and his presence in the midst of it. Psalm 31:15. I prayed this I don't know how many times. God, my times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. That's number one, awareness. Be aware. Don't be afraid to be real about where you are in your faith. Talk to somebody about it. Number two, forgiveness. Unforgiveness hinders our lives in God, period. Write down in your notes, who do I need to forgive? Someone hurt you. Maybe it's childhood. Maybe it's last week. Maybe it's last year. You feel like God abandoned you. Do you need to forgive God? How many of us need to forgive ourselves? We did something, we just can't get over it. We just can't get over it. We just can't forgive ourselves for all sorts of reasons. Never underestimate the power of unforgiveness to thwart your spiritual life. Never underestimate the power of unforgiveness to thwart your spiritual life. And if right now Jesus is loving you by bringing someone to mind, then, then that's your invitation. God loves us so much, he will not allow us to move forward in our faith while we're hanging on to sins or perceptions of sins that have already been paid for by Jesus on the cross. That's easy. Number two, forgiveness. Done, all right? Number three, acceptance. Accept the reality that you're currently living in. You've got to be willing to accept what's happening in your life, what has happened in your life. As long as we deny something, it controls us. It's an extreme statement, I know, I know that, but think about it. As long as we try to push away, think of addiction, as long as we try to push away and push away and push away things, I don't believe that. I'm not going to deal with that. I'm not going to deal with that. To the extent that we push it away, it owns us. And to the extent that we accept it and bring it into the light of Jesus, it can be forgiven and disempowered. There's almost always something at the wall to be given up. Think of Paul in Philippians 3 where he says, you know, I had all these great things and all these amazing accolades, but I considered them all, the actual word is dung. That's a nice way of saying it, in the scriptures. I considered it all rubbish for the sake of knowing Jesus. And all that stuff doesn't matter. It, it's almost always something has to be let go of at the wall. This is not a mean God saying, you can't have your fun toys anymore. 
This is a loving God saying, I know that your tendency is to idolize your disordered attachments. And, I'm, and I love you too much to let you do that. So we'll have to let go of that. And that is love. I promise you, that is love. So we uh, did uh, awareness, forgiveness, acceptance, and finally, love. Surrender to love. If you've sat in my office and cried tears, I probably said, you should read a book called Surrender to Love. And the, the, the image for surrender that the author, David Benner, the image for surrendering to God's love that he gives, it's a great image, is the image of floating. He says, this is what surrender is like. Um, you, you, know, you know you can float, right? In case you didn't know that, you can float in the water. doesn't have to be the Dead Sea. And there's a strange thing that happens when you float. You're, you're just laying there in the water. I mean, it's like only your nose and your eyes are out of the water, right? There's an odd, how do I say it, like a tension in your body. You're not paddling. You're not striving. You're not sinking. You're just floating. You're believing that this substance that seems so billowy and weak will hold you up. It's a beautiful image of what it looks like to, to surrender to God. You can't grasp him. You can't always feel him. You can't keep him where you want him. You just have to be in him. And, it, and I'm giving you uh, permission, go swimming. And learn how to surrender to love. Isaiah 42, 16, I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. I held on to that verse during my times in the wall. 30 years ago, 15 years ago, and two years ago. I held on to that. God, this is your promise to your people. You will lead your people by paths they do not know. What kind of people? The blind people. And I would just say, God, I'm blind, and I trust you to lead me in a path that I don't know, and I believe you will not forsake me. I feel forsaken, but Jesus, you promised, Hebrews 13, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Remember, at this point, if you're in this stage, you are the beloved of God. Jesus, who was the beloved of God, was allowed to go through the dark night of the soul, through the wall, through suffering, through difficulty. And God redeemed every single aspect of it, and he will do it for us. I can't tell you how he'll do it. I can just tell you that he will do it. I can tell you that if you're in that place right now, God is present with you based not on Randy's character, based not even on the Bible, based on the character of God himself. The one thing God cannot do, he cannot be absent from the believer. He can't do it. We're, we're one with him. He'd have to leave himself to leave us. It can't be done. Whether you feel it or not, God is present. Let's pray. Let's stand and pray. And if the ministry team could come forward, that would be great. Some people on the ministry team, if we could have some on both sides. Thank you. 
I just want to open uh, open up for any type of ministry this morning. Maybe what I spoke about really hits you hard and you realize that's right where I am. And you, and you want to talk to someone. You want someone to pray for you. I just encourage you to come forward. Talk to someone on the ministry team. Let them pray. Maybe you just want to come and be before God. That's fine. You can just kneel in the front. Maybe there's something specific happening in your life. It's a physical need, an emotional need, a spiritual crisis that you're going through. And you just, you just need to know that God is present. Sometimes it's good just to have another believer's hands on you to remember that God is present. So I'll invite anyone who wants to come forward for prayer, and I'll pray for us. God, we thank you that um, you are omnipresent. You are here in our midst. You are in the midst of our lives, whether we see you or feel you or sense you right now or not. Um, even as I'm praying, I just, I'm, I'm just going to say what I, what's coming to my mind. I think the Lord wants to encourage some of us. You're, you're in a difficult place, and you feel like there must be something I've done wrong. I must be displeasing to God. God must be disciplining me. God must be punishing me. God does discipline the people that he loves, but he doesn't punish. He did that to Jesus. That's all done. I think the Lord might encourage some of us, take your eyes off yourself and put your eyes back on Jesus. He's already run the race. He's already completed the task. So Lord, I just ask as uh, people come for prayer that you would minister to us by the Holy Spirit, speak your words of encouragement and grace to us. And God, lead us from this place empowered and surrendered. <laughs>